0: I've mentioned a few times that from chapter 10 onward, the book of Proverbs does not have a great deal of structure. The first nine chapters establish the dominant metaphors of two roads, two women, two houses, two banquets, and then the rest of the content more or less assumes that basic shape. Many, though not all, of the wisdom sayings that follow are presented in the form of antithetical or contrasting parallels. So verse 1 here in chapter 15 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The wise way is the gentle way. The harsh way is the way of folly. That essential contrast represents most of the organizational structure through to the end of the book. And that makes Proverbs a difficult book to study. Peter Kroll, for example, says here, if you've ever tried a chapter-a-day Bible reading plan, you understand how difficult it is to read Proverbs. Nearly every verse demands a pause for reflection, and much of the book yields only tenuous logical connections between one verse and the next. The book does not tell a story like Job. It rarely presents a train of thought across an extended poem like the Psalms. It mostly does not make a sustained argument like Ecclesiastes, closed quote. I've been finding it difficult to stay within my intended time frame for each of these chapter episodes for that very reason. In most books of the Bible, you can zoom out a bit and comment on five or six verses at a time. But here, you really do feel as though you need to analyze each verse more or less independently, and that takes some time. However, as we get deeper into Proverbs, we'll begin to encounter more and more sayings that we've heard before, sometimes using the exact same wording, and other times using different words but making essentially the same point. In such cases, we will refer back to comments and explanations provided previously. In chapter 15, as in most of the chapters after chapter 9, the connections between these sayings are subtle and somewhat tenuous. I might tentatively suggest that verses one to four appear to be focusing on wise speech. Verses five to 19 appear to be focusing on the importance of sound instruction. And then the last several verses appear to be focusing on the outcomes associated with the choices that we make in life. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse one. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge. But the mouths of fools pour out folly. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Proverbs 15.1 is perhaps better known to many of us as the NIV renders it, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The Hebrew word there means tender, soft, or delicate, so I suppose any of those renderings would do. Bruce Walkie says here, it connotes a response that in both substance and style soothes and comforts the listener, close quote. Waltke understands this verse in relation to the last verse of chapter 14, which says, a servant who deals wisely has the king's favor, but his wrath falls on one who acts shamefully. And so he understands 15.1 as commending a soft or delicate answer to the king. Again, it's hard to know how strong a connection we're supposed to see between these individual sayings. Certainly, it is wise to be careful how we speak to those in authority. But equally, it is wise to speak carefully to any potentially volatile person or into any potentially volatile situation. So I prefer to see this in a both-and sense, given that the following three verses take the conversation in a more general direction. I would say it is wise to speak carefully and delicately to those in power and to those who are hostile. And there is certainly no sense whatsoever in poking the bear to invoke a contemporary idiom. As I said, verse two takes the conversation in a more general direction. In general, the tongue of the wise commands or puts forth knowledge, whereas the mouth of fools pours out folly. In verse three, wedged inside this conversation about speech is a verse reminding us that God is always listening. He hears, he records, he remembers. And of course, this lines up perfectly with what Jesus says in Matthew twelve thirty-six to 37. He says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified and by your words, you will be condemned, close quote according to Jesus and according to the wise father in Proverbs, our words tell the truth about who we are. Thus, by analyzing our speech, an accurate assessment of our character may be gained. Now, the proper response to that truth is not terror, but repentance, vigilance, and growth We need to identify and disown all wrong thoughts and disordered desires. And then we must carefully guard the inputs to our hearts, and we must sow into our souls the things that make for peace. Because as our souls go, so will our mouths speak. So the battle is won or lost upstream, but the evidence of our internal state flows downstream and may be collected and analyzed there. That is the perspective we meet in both the Old and New Testaments. In verse 4, the gentle tongue is celebrated as a source of life, in contrast to the perverse tongue, which breaks the bone. The lesson here is that our words have the power of life and death in them, and parents in particular need to understand that. Our words can heal, and our words can harm. Now, I say this as a man, so I'm sure a woman might say it differently, but... I have learned and have passed on to others the truth that many men become what the women in their lives say they are. My mother used to whisper in my ear that God had a special purpose in mind for me. She said that as though it were some great secret that she had been let in on. And as a child, I took that at face value. I believed that I was special to God and that he had an important mission for me. I believed it because my mother told me that. And I spent the next several decades of my life looking for what she said was there. Mothers, understand that your words are magic in the ears of your children. If you tell them they're special, they'll believe it. If you tell them they're smart, they will believe it. If you tell them they matter to God and to you and to the universe, they will believe it. And of course, the converse is true as well. If you tell them they're liars they will believe that. If you tell them they're worthless, they will believe that. Your words are life and death. And the same is true to a lesser extent for wives. Men tend to believe what the women in their lives say about them. Again, I say that as a man because I have no other point of view. But to women and mothers, I pass that perspective on as both an encouragement and a warning. Your words are powerful, so Use them wisely. Verse 5, a fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. I mentioned that the first four verses in chapter 15 deal with wise and delicate speech and that verses 5 to 19 focus on the importance of sound instruction. We've seen that point made before, as for example, in chapter 13 verses 1 and 18. Verse 6 here says, In the house of the righteous there is much treasure, but trouble befalls the income of the wicked. Here the focus is on reward and accumulation. Righteous people walking the way of wisdom tend to accumulate wealth, whereas wicked people walking on the path of foolishness tend to accumulate trouble. Verse 7, The lips of the wise spread knowledge, not so the heart of fools. If verse 6 was about what you accumulate, verse 7 is about what you spread. The wise spread knowledge, not so the hearts of fools. Verses 8 and 9 seem to go together. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves him who pursues righteousness. Here we're being told that While religious hypocrisy might fool human beings, it certainly does not fool God because he sees the heart. So if you're cheating on your wife as an elder or pastor and then praying just a wonderful prayer on Sunday morning, you might be fooling the people in the pews, but you are certainly not fooling God. Your prayers are not acceptable to him, and your worship is an abomination to him, and every hour you continue in this duplicitous state, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of judgment. That seems to be the trajectory of thought as we move into verses 10 and 11. There is severe discipline for him who forsakes the way. Whoever hates reproof will die. Sheol and Abaddon lie open before the Lord, how much more the hearts of the children of man. God sees everything. If he knows what is going on in the deepest, darkest pit of hell, then you can be sure he knows what is going on inside your heart. And therefore, it is utter foolishness to live your life as if you won't have to give an account for yourself at the end. Play the long game. Live life Backwards. Remember that there is a creator to whom you must give an account and plan your steps and your choices accordingly. That is wisdom. Verse 12 A scoffer does not like to be reproved, he will not go to the wise. Yes, there is a certain sort of person who will avoid wise mentors and communities of accountability because they simply don't want to be told. They will perish for lack of solid input. Pastors. You need to understand that there's a certain type of person who will not come to your church if you preach the Bible, who will not come to your church if you actually dare to practice church discipline. As soon as you do those things, they will move on and they will perish for lack of solid input. You need to know that those people are out there. Verse 13, a glad heart makes a cheerful face, but by sorrow of heart, the spirit is crushed. Tremper Longman III offers a slightly more useful translation of this verse. He puts it this way, A joyful heart brightens one's face, but in a troubled heart, a broken spirit. He goes on to offer this helpful comment. He says, The point of the first colon is that one's internal well-being is reflected in one's appearance. Our emotions affect our demeanor. The second colon seems to go deeper, in that it is not an internal influence on the external, but an internal influence on the internal. In other words, standing behind a pained or troubled heart is a broken spirit, quote. Again, the psychological insights in the book of Proverbs are underappreciated. The wise father seems to be saying that there is often a deeper issue beneath an unhappy heart. So you can't just say to people, you know, snap out of it, be happy. There may be trauma there. There may be abuse there. There may be brokenness there that has to be healed before one's feelings can return to their proper equilibrium. Verse 14, the heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouths of fools feed on folly. Here the wise father is reminding his son that what you feed on is what you become. You are what you eat. That is true in the physical realm, and that is true in the emotional, spiritual, and psychological realms as well. As the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 4.8, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise— Think about these things, quote. If you feed your soul with shallowness and smut, if you spend eight hours a day watching video snippets on TikTok, then don't be surprised if your heart, soul, and mind shrink and diminish in due proportion. Verse 15, all the days of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. This verse seems to be saying that healthy people tend to do well, whereas afflicted people tend to experience bad outcomes. Internal health matters. Mental and spiritual health matters. Again, the psychological insights in Proverbs are profound. Verses 16 and 17 seem like a natural pair. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. The basic idea is that spiritual and social health are ultimately more satisfying than material prosperity. Better to be spiritually and socially rich than physically and materially prosperous while spiritually dead and socially isolated. Verse 18, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. This verse is very similar to verse 1 in this chapter. Wisdom involves having mastery over your own temper. Verse 19, the way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. Things always seem difficult to the sluggard. He sees obstacles everywhere and he has an excuse for every occasion. Because of his inner disposition, he makes little progress in life. The upright, on the other hand, having a good heart, Is generally optimistic and outgoing the way seems wide open before him verse 20 very closely parallels chapter 10 verse 1 which we spoke about at length there so we'll pass over it here without comment a wise son makes a glad father but a foolish man despises his mother verse 21 folly is a joy to him who lacks sense but a man of understanding walks straight ahead this verse reminds me of the old board game operation. You are supposed to remove the little bone without touching the electrified boundary. If you touched the boundary, then the alarm went off and you lost the game. The fool, however, loves the sound of that buzzer. Folly is the game to him. He thinks that making that buzzer go off is the whole point of the game. The man of understanding, however, avoids the electrified boundary and claims the prize. Be like that guy. Verse 22, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Yes, there are many versions of this proverb throughout the book. The basic idea is that seeking good advice from a variety of counselors is an important ingredient in the recipe for success. Before making a major decision, assuming that it is a matter of prudence as opposed to doctrine and law, get advice from as many wise and godly people as you can. Advice from two wise and godly people is good. Advice from five wise and godly people is better. With many advisors, plans succeed. Verse 23, to make an apt answer is a joy to a man, and a word in season, how good it is. Some see this verse as the flip side to verse 22. Receiving good advice brings joy, but so does giving it. It's a wonderful thing to be in a place to give wise counsel to others. Verse 24, the path of life leads upward for the prudent that he may turn away from Sheol beneath. Of course, as Christians, this verse reminds us of something Jesus said in Matthew 7, verses 13 to 14. He said, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those are few who find it. Quote. In general, shortcuts and easy ways lead to trouble. The road to life is narrow, and it generally runs uphill. But in the long run, it's the road you want to be on. Verse 25. The Lord tears down the house of the proud, but maintains the widow's boundaries. This verse is yet another reminder that God watches over and involves himself in the game of life. You need to know that. Life is like a game of Monopoly. You might think you're pretty slick for awarding yourself $500 every time you pass go instead of the $200 you were supposed to take. But the thing is, Father is watching from the other room. And before the game is done, he will come in and wipe every ill-gotten gain off the board taking from the cheaters and giving to those who played by the rules. And therefore, slow, steady, and righteous wins the race. Verse 26. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but gracious words are pure. So, Father not only watches the game, he reads our hearts while we're playing the game. All the more reason to govern our hearts and our mouths. Verse 27. Whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household, but he who hates bribes will live. As I said before, God enters the game and wipes every ill-gotten gain off the board. So, to state the obvious, if you are living inside someone else's ill-gotten gain, then you will pay the price for that person's folly. Life is like that. We are connected. And therefore, what we do affects not just us, but the others who are connected to us. Moms and dads, you want to remember that. If you act foolishly or wickedly, you imperil yourself and your children. If you build a house with ill-gotten gain, that house may be blown down and your children may perish with you in it. That's just how reality works. So better to live modestly on what you earn honestly. Verse 28. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Think before you speak, and think before you listen. A pastor or a counselor who always knows exactly what to say before you've even finished asking the question may not be the sort of person you want to take advice from. Wise people tend to ponder. If necessary, they research and study before giving counsel. Verse 29. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. Tremper Longman III, again, is helpful here. He says, it is not that Yahweh is unaware of the prayers of the wicked. The verse does not mean that God listens only to the prayers of the righteous and does not even hear those of the wicked. The verb hear in Hebrew often implies the response, closed quote. So the idea is that God doesn't hear with the intent to respond, Or he doesn't receive favorably the prayers of the wicked, whereas he is inclined to respond to those who are in right relationship with him. Verse 30, the light of the eyes rejoices the heart and good news refreshes the bones. This proverb again is psychologically insightful. We've talked numerous times about how health is ultimately a matter of the heart. Therefore, guard your heart. Well, here, we're being told that external inputs can affect the inner person. Good news from the outside can refresh the bones inside. Light entering through the eyes can bring joy to the heart. The Bible tends to think of the heart as the center of the person, but it tends to speak of the eyes as like the window to the soul. The eye determines the amount of light that enters the heart. So Jesus in Matthew 6, 22 to 23 says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness." Close quote. So what you look at determines what enters your heart. Again, external input affects inner health. Understanding that should affect how we parent. We need to do everything we can to influence what kind of light is entering our child's soul. If you fill a child's soul with TikTok toxin and social media nonsense, then the soul of the child will darken. But if you expose that soul to light, if you expose the child to truth, beauty, and substance, then the heart of the child will brighten. That's the idea. And of course, the same truth applies to adults. We all have to be careful what external influences we invite into our inner person. I should mention here that several scholars understand verse 30 as representing a hinge between parts one and two of the first Solomonic collection of Proverbs. In the proposed arrangement, verses 30 to 33 of chapter 15 are really an introduction to this second part, which runs from chapter 16 through to chapter 22. Now, it doesn't really matter a great deal whether you buy into that proposed arrangement or not. Where appropriate and useful, I will point out some of the potential subdivisions that are generally recognized. Regardless, verses 31 and 32 of chapter 15 appear to belong together. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. Here again, we have a reminder about the importance of receiving counsel, correction, and rebuke. The person who cuts him or herself off from outside instruction will surely suffer. The person who seeks out counsel and correction will flourish. So a moment ago, I said to the pastor, you need to know that people are out there who will leave your church when you begin teaching the Word of God and applying church discipline. You do need to know that, Pastor, but now let me turn that around and say to you person: if you are listening and, and you have left church because people get in your face a little bit, because the word of God is starting to press on your sin, then you need to hear this. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. Verse 33. The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom, and humility comes before honor. The first part of verse 33 is simply a restatement of the essential motto of the book, which we first encountered in Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction, closed quote. The second colon here, however, adds an interesting dimension. We expected fools despise wisdom and instruction, but instead we heard, that humility comes before honor, which, of course, is another way of saying the same thing. You have to be humble to receive instruction. But if you are, and if you do, then you will receive honor later in life. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you've appreciated the end of the word ministry, I'd like to personally invite you to pay it forward by supporting a mission project that is very close to my heart. The Letha Daycare Outreach Project is a church-based educational program designed to teach literacy, support low-income families, and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with boys and girls in rural South Africa. I've seen this project with my own eyes. I have shaken the hands of parents whose families have been helped, I have heard the songs and Bible verses out of the mouths of some of these dear children as they have been taught and helped to put their trust in the Lord. And nothing would be more gratifying to me than for you to show your appreciation for Into the Word by investing in these little ones. You can do that in one of two ways. You can give through the Into the Word app or by visiting the Into the Word website at IntoTheWord.ca. Just click on the Give tab and you'll find giving options for both Canadian and American listeners. This is a registered project with ABWE Canada and ABWE USA, so tax receipts are available to all eligible donors. Just identify where you're listening from and click on the Fund button and select Letha Daycare Outreach. Thank you for considering this method of showing your support for the End of the Word program. And may God alone be glorified. Your word is a lamp unto my feet.